Yes, yes, it is DJ Ski from Dash Radio, and you are now listening to the number one South Asian radio station in the world. I'm talking about Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian station. Let's go. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, a conversation with comedian, author, and New York Times culture and NBA writer, Sopan Deb. Stay tuned. As someone whose South Asian identity is uniquely fingerprinted by my own family's story and how their back then became my right now, I admit that I haven't spent the time needed to discover more details and ask more questions about the granular or nuanced items. But for comedian and author Sopan Deb, writing the memoir Mistranslations when he turned 30 and chronicling a reconnection with the family he never truly understood was a journey in empathy, discovery, and maturation. Sopan's career has been eclectic, from covering politics for CBS News, to his current work as an NBA and culture writer for the New York Times, and his future work with a new fiction novel coming out in 2022 called The Elm Tree. My lifelong obsession with professional basketball and South Asian American culture naturally drew me to have a conversation with him. We chatted about his own career journey, about writing mistranslations, and we started out by talking about his own realizations and discoveries during the pandemic. Um, I, I will say I, it has made me recognize more so than I ever had before how fortunate I am. Um, look, I, I work in a field, I'm a journalist, where tens of thousands of um, journalists have been laid off and I have my job. Yeah. Um, you know, I have, I've been able to remain healthy. You know, yeah. I have a wonderful partner with which to quarantine with. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it, it, I'm very fortunate to have the resources that I have because I know there are so many people in the country that are not as fortunate and have not been as fortunate. Yeah. Um, you know, there've been so many, there've been so many deaths. There've been a lot of people that have received you know, been sick outside of that. And yeah. I've been very lucky so far. And that, that's been kind of my biggest takeaway from the last, you know, six months to a year. Does it mean, you know, in, and in that way, having that gratitude and, and understanding that like, Hey, this is the sort of first world problem that I've been given. Um, is there a deeper sense of appreciation then for the disparity? Sometimes it's there. I mean, like when you hear about other colleagues or, or, you know, folks out there who have had loss and they've actually, you know, been in pain or suffering. I mean, how does that allow for your, you know, work to change or for your personal habits to change, if, it, it, if at all? It makes me want to clutch the things that I have closer, meaning yeah. whether it's my partner, you know, whether it's, it's the kind of the everyday things I enjoy, it makes me want to wrap my arms around them and I appreciate them a lot more. There are little things about living in New York, for example, that, that I miss pre from pre COVID. Like, yeah, you know, I used to go see a lot of Broadway shows. I was, sure. you know, I love the theater scene and, you know, I used to perform, I, you know, I do did a lot of comedy and, 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 you know, I used to play basketball every weekend yeah. and, 
and and those those are things you can't really do anymore um and and so on one hand i feel gratitude and makes me want to the clutch things i have closer on the other hand i also you know i miss the things that we used to have that we used to have access to um i think that a lot of those things for example you know the theater scene especially in new york that that is part of what makes new york city the vibrant city that it is yeah and so um you know there's that too well i mean and has it now made you discover new things to in some ways supplant those or replace those as occupants in your in your mind or in your in your sort of daily vernacular to now like say yeah, hey. actually we we got a dog over the summer <laughs> we got a puppy um How, how's that parenting going there it's exhausting it's it's yeah. it's it's um it's a lot now we now in, in now we did not get a puppy because of the pandemic my part my partner wesley's been asking me for years yeah to get a dog and and she just turned 30 and i felt like um okay, now I have to, um, it's time to make the leap. It's time to make the leap. And, um, and and I'll be, I'll be honest. It's it's, getting a puppy has really helped her mental health. Now there are frustrations and challenges that come with raising a puppy that people don't realize. And, and you know, when you, when you wake up and she's gone to the bathroom in all the wrong places and (laughs) that's not ideal, but you know, it's been very helpful in getting through this very isolating time. Well, and I wonder if, um, you know, just having the, that self-awareness and even the appreciation of what kind of an isolating time it is helps you actually, in fact, um, be the perfect time to, in fact, raise a puppy. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I you know, it, 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 that's true. I mean, I mean, we, we haven't had to have hard conversations about doggy daycare or, <laughs> you know, right. who's going to dog sit while we're at work. We even have yeah. to, had to have those conversations. So in that respect, um, um, having a puppy, this is the time to do that. You're, you're, um, someone with a lot of diverse experience. You're an author, you're, you cover the NBA, you're a comedian. Um, and of course you've covered politics and, and doing writing uh, for the times. And, um, I feel like it's a sort of PTI of different sort of categories for you in that way. But, you know, is, is there in, for you personally, is there a sort of unifying thread to all of this? Or do you have sort of a, a favorite aspect of your career path or, or your daily work? Um, there isn't a unifying thread. Yeah. Um, no, there isn't. And, and you know what it is? It's a very strange. I talked to a decent amount of college students who are graduating about, and they're like, how do I do what you do? Yeah. Or you get a lot of like, you know, I, and I, and I, and I have to tell them like, my path is not for everybody. In fact, no one, this is a very strange route I've gone where every two years I go try something completely new. Oh, I, I, uh, I'll write a book this year and, oh, I'm going to go from politics to covering culture. And then, oh, why not try the NBA? That those are very unusual things. If there is a unifying theme, the unifying theme is that I constantly want to be trying new things. Mm -hmm. I will constantly want to be challenging myself. I constantly, I constantly want to feel like I'm growing and, and, and advancing and, and, and doing doing um you know challenging myself to be be better and challenge myself to try new things and that's the unifying theme but each individual job look look i i got a i i got hired to do the nba um and i've never covered sports full-time before this um i'm covering the nba because you know the sports editor knew that i'm a big basketball fan you know, before that it was culture, before that it was politics, before that I did documentary filmmaking, I know, all, all kinds of different things. And a lot of it stems from just being in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. and, and just kind of, and just, and hustling. And, and, but, 
part of it's a stem part of it also is just me wanting to try new things and is is that is that level of curiosity and the idea that you can actually shape shift or or be someone who can easily um, go and adapt to discovering new things or making that a part of of who you are professionally is that kind of the the sort of brand that you've created in some ways I mean you interviewed um, uh, Lamella Ball recently and I can't think of another sort of family that just has been manufacturing a brand for themselves I mean is that part of what's necessary to then in some ways be that person who's able to creatively and intellectually adapt to so many different themes in their career well, I think that um, to be a shapeshifter, as you called it, um, it requires two parties. It requires the shapeshifter and someone to let that person shapeshift. Right. So in my case, you know, I work at an institution, the New York Times, that really lets you go from place to place, which mm-hmm. is very helpful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, <laughs> is it part of my brand? I, I don't know. I, you know, is it, is it something I've cultivated for myself? No, it just, it just has happened to work out like this. And whatever my brand is, I'll let other people, you know, right. discuss. but like, it's less, this has never been planned. It was never supposed to be this way. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we, you know, when I got to, you know, when I was finished up covering the Trump campaign, I was on my way. I had a foot in the door to go be the, a White House reporter for CBS. I had yeah. a foot in the door. And then, you know, the times came along and, you know, and then that was unexpected. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going, how can I turn down writing for the New York Times? Right. And then from there, you know, how can I turn down writing about the NBA for a little bit? Why not try it? You know, it's never been planned. It's just come up. And, and so... It, it, it's it's a risk in that you you try new things you might not like it and you can't get go back to your old life, sure. But I, I think it's a willingness to take risks. Yeah. And then and and everything else just falls into place. And I wonder if prescriptively for you that sort of organic process is probably suits who you are and or who you'd like to be or who you'd like to become, as opposed to whether it was so structured. I mean, is there, is there a value to that as being non-prescriptive in that way? I, you know, I, I see both sides of it. Um, I, I say, look, to each their own. Some people really yeah. like security and stability. And, you know, one of my best friends who I'm traveling with right now, he's had the same job since he was 20. Yeah. Uh, worked for the same company, you know, and, and he loves it. He, he looks at my life and goes, what are you thinking, man? Right. And I look at his life and I go, well, what are you yeah, thinking? What are you thinking? Right. Yeah. And, and uh, like, you know, I'll, I'll throttle him something. Don't you want to try something new? And he'll look at me yeah. and say, don't you want to stay in one place for a little bit? And, <laughs> and so, you know, to each their own, you know, you find what works for you and, um, and then you go from there. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Sopan Deb on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a very quick break, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about his book. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Raginder, and you can check out ruckusavenueradio.com for more information and for the latest on station programming and more. So welcome back, everyone, to this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. My guest today is Sopan Deb. Sopan, you wrote um, a real intimate and um, deep and charming um, book uh, in Mistranslations, and it's funny, I mean, I was thinking about this. If I ever interviewed my parents 
um, you know, very deeply about who they are and what they, I'm sure I, of course, like you did discover so many rich things, um, both tremendously helpful and good and sometimes, you know, not so uh, uh, positive in, in that way. When you were part doing this kind of rediscovery um, process, um, you know, do you think there was also a uh, a rediscovery of your family of you at the same time? Meaning, if if they were going to write the mirror book to this and you know share some of their experiences, what would that kind of read like? I think that if my parents were to do a book on me. Um, I think from their point of view, uh, I, I think it would be largely, I, I don't know, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard until you see things through their eyes. And I think one of the, one of the, uh, projects from Mistranslations, which for those of your listeners who don't know, the, the memoir tracks year of my life as I try to reconnect with my estranged parents who I had not seen in several years. Um, you know, I, I I don't know that I don't know how they saw me mm-hmm. over the you know to the full extent. Yeah, I, I think they were very surprised to see a lot of characterizations in in a, in the book I wrote about that them. So I assume it would be the same going the other way. In that if I if they wrote a book about me, I would imagine I'm reading through the pages that I would see a lot of things that I wouldn't like either. Mm-hmm. And so it's, but it's hard for you to know exactly what the thing about it is like, you know, all the good things about yourself. Yeah. Right? Like if, 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 uh, you know, w- you know, if, if someone writes a, a, a recommendation letter for you or something, you know, and, and, and there's four good things. Um, the fifth thing, which is not as glowing, is going to gnaw at you because you know, the first fourth, everyone knows, everyone knows all the great things about themselves, you know? And so, um, but so the short answer is I don't know what my parents, how, how I'd be characterized if they had written the book instead of me. And for you, when, when you think about that, about those, you know, good things that you discovered about yourself in doing this, I mean, were there also an equal amount of things that you're like, ah, you know, maybe this is something that I could um, either change about myself or like I'm starting to recognize that this is um, something that's a, a gap or a, um, you know, a, a flaw in myself, like that, that vulnerability and that real, yeah, I mean, the book was the mission of the book was to be empathetic towards my parents and see the flaws in myself. Yeah, I mean, that yeah. the book, I think the book, if anything grapples with that at length, um, whether it's about why I didn't reach out to them earlier, whether it was why I wasn't as empathetic to them earlier, why I didn't understand their life in India more, um, whether it was about the kind of son that I was, it's a, I, I think the book actually does grapple with quite a, a quite a large number of, of flaws. And for you, did you find a way um, to become well? First off, I mean, uh, did it change in that way once you wrote it and once you've reflected on it, and even now, um, has it changed your own personal relationships and how you've been able to grapple with you know uh, loss or or estrangement or keeping up with relationships? Has that, has that changed your outlook even now, whether it's with your partner or with your friends or, or anyone else? Well, yes. Um, well, the first and foremost is, you know, my, my, I have a relationship with my parents that I didn't have before. Yeah. And that was the aim of the book. That was the aim of all of this. And that's what, um, that's what the point of all this was. Yeah. Um, so they're humans to me as opposed to footnotes from my past. Um, 
my relationship with my partner, I mean, Wesley, who is my fiance, um, she was, she's a core character in the book. Um, she was everything. And she helped put together a proposal. She was a bridge between my parents and me. She encouraged me to reach out to them. She helped in copy editing the book and, and she came up with the title mm-hmm. and everything. And, and, and that whole process made me really recognize how important she is to my life. Not that I didn't know she was important beforehand, but she was really, um, a champion, like a, like a, like yeah. a, you know, a real advocate for me, and and uh, I've never been as grateful for a human being as I was for Wesley, you know, during this process. So, um, in that respect, you know, so I, I would say, it, you know, between reconnecting with my parents and and just having a new appreciation for Wesley, the, those were the two most rewarding parts of the journey. Did you um, think about in? Some, I mean, I always think about this all the time that like anytime I'm interacting with my own kids that, you know, I feel it inherently that I'm either turning into my parents or I'm exhibiting the same behaviors, good and bad. And, you know, did, did you in, in reconnecting or, or having that, that sense of relationship with your parents, I mean, did you sort of, you know, catch yourself at even moments saying that like, oh, okay, now I know where this comes from. Um, there, there were some parts of it where I was like, oh, we have the same quality. So I'll give an example. My father has these paintings hanging up in his apartment in Kolkata where he lives. And, um, and, and, I was, and, and some of the paintings, they're, they're famous paintings. Yeah. But they look a little different. And like one of them's like, uh, you know, The Last Supper. And, and my dad has seen these paintings in the past, but found them to be um, historically inaccurate. Yeah. What he did was he customed, he customized a, a, these paintings to be repainted for them himself, but with factually correct depictions. Yeah. So the Last Supper, I think, um, I, I'm trying to remember, like the Last Supper, I think the tablecloth is dirty. Yeah. You know, the, the, you know, everyone's bare feet instead of wearing any sort of sandals or anything. Right. Uh, you know, uh, everyone, you know, there's these different little details that my father was so outraged by that he wanted to fix himself. And, and I'm a journalist, like yeah. as a, you know, I fact check often. So for me, that's something that I was like, we share that kind of thing. Like, no, this has to be correct. And right. you know, I'm the person that's watching movies and pointing out plot holes and minor, you know, dis- all the anachronisms and that. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, there, but there, there are several points where I was like, Oh yeah. So we do share this and, 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 and blah, blah, blah. So I'm, I'm, you know, so there were, there are certainly a bunch of moments like that, you know, and the, reaction or the um, relatability and the, you know, the fact that there's so many that probably, whether they're South Asians or, or, or not, um, who have read the book and have, you know, shared some of these moments in reading it, um, when you get some of their reactions or the reactions now of, of people who've read it and said, oh, yeah, this, you know, totally speaks to me. Ha- have there been any surprises that you've heard or, or um, reactions that you didn't necessarily expect from those who've read it? Man, I have been besieged by by notes and messages from all over from people who have read the book. And, and it, it, it's been really meaningful. A lot of people have thanked me. You know, a lot of people said, you know, I don't share this exact story, but there's so much of it that I recognize. Um, there, there, you know, uh, so I remember this one note I got early on in which someone asked me f- to write a list of questions for them to bring to their own parents. 
<laughs> and yeah. and I, I I thought that was a really um, I thought that was I, there's just been so many like so many notes of from other brown people that were like I feel seen as I, as I read this and I I I I cannot tell you how many times like you know you read these messages and you get a little emotional and and whatnot and it's really quite nice. Well, you know, I mean, I, I uh, think about the work as you know, really an American story, right? And it's you know, certainly it's it's from a, a brown man um, talking about your know, relationship with his parents. But you know, is the uniqueness and the unique value or the additive value here that it is in fact this um, a story of a brown man or a South Asian American man in in America? And is the value of this, the idea and the notion, I mean, this could not hap have happened if your parents were not Indian immigrants. Otherwise, it, it wouldn't actually take the shape that, that it has and resonated the same way. I mean, is there that sense of importance that, the, you know, the contrast between this and, and non-Brown America is there? Well, what I said, what I said in the first page of the book is this is not a book just for South Asians, yeah. nor is it the South Asian story. Right. You know, because there's so little of this in Western pop culture, whether it's film, TV, or, lit, or in the lit world. Um, I, I don't think this is a book, you know, that is just for brown people. You know, it's a book for anybody who um, has a relationship that should be better with somebody. Yeah. Um, I also don't think that, I also think that there are, uh, this is one small slice of lots of diaspora uh, brown stories, you know. Um, there, there. Uh, you know, I also, you know, read, you know, reviews or or heard from people that are like, you know, this book didn't really resonate with me at all because, you know, I had a totally different experience, and that's okay. Yeah. Um. So, so, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I thought less. I, I did want to make sure that I didn't write anything that was offensive about being South Asian. You know, uh, I didn't want to punch down at all. But generally, I didn't think much about the audience. I just wanted to tell a good story and have it have it be out there. Did you become more nostalgic, perhaps, in in writing this um, about either the sort of child of an immigrant experience or or even India in general um, at all, uh, or was this more of a hey, this is the the matter of fact narrative of of how that that experience and re re connecting and 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 finding that uh, conversation with my parents went? Um, if I am nostalgic about anything, it was the process of writing the book because mm -hmm. it brought me, um, it, it, you know, Wesley and I just spent so many late nights, you know, eating takeout and just hanging out and, and you yeah. know, copy editing the book and looking at cover page. We just say, I, you only write your first book once. And I'm really nostalgic yeah. for that process. In terms of the actual content, you know, I, I'm not really, I wasn't really nostalgic for India because I'd never been there until this trip. Sure. Um, but if I'm nostalgic about, you know, spending that time with my father. Mm -hmm. In particular, because who knows when I'll see him again, especially with COVID and everything. He, you know, he has a lot of, he's a very quirky guy and that really comes through in the book. Yeah. You know, he's full of energy, full of life and he has these personality quirks. He's very particular about certain things. And those are things I'm nostalgic. About. I miss that side of him. But, yeah. um, but th that's probably what I'm most nostalgic about. You still have, um, you know, obviously it's a COVID uh, world right now, but um has the connectivity been able to still stay in, in intact and um, making sure that that your your friendship, in fact, is still blossoming with your parents? 
Uh, yes. Uh, you know, I, we saw, you know, I mean, look, this is not overnight process. This isn't a Hallmark movie with, yeah. where you end in a, you know, where you end in a happy, um, um, where you end in a kind of like a happy, happy place. Um, you can, you know, uh, but that's not, um, that's not how it typically goes. Um, you know, it's a process, but yeah, it's better than what it used to be, which is, and, and, and the process will continue for the rest of our lives. My guest today is Sopan Deb. And after another quick break, we're going to come back and talk a little bit about the South Asian American experience going forward. Stay tuned. We are the Moonlight, and you're listening to Ruckus Avenue Radio. All right, everyone. So welcome back. Uh, my guest today is Sopan Deb and thrilled to have him on Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Um, Sopan, you were on a panel recently called Brown America and Community, Culture and Code and um, really thinking about the sort of brown experience or the South Asian American experience. And, you know, in, in, in not only just writing your book, but all the deep experiences that you've had as a, a journalist and, and an author now, um, what's the next chapter for South Asian Americans? And, and what's the next sort of story that really should be coming out? I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that it's not the hallmark ending that's, that's most commonly, you know, the case. And the reality is, is that there are deeper, more nuanced stories there. Are, are we going to start seeing that more um, played out and, and that those stories told just as much as, say, the, uh, you know, the, the hallmark versions are? Well, I, I think there's certainly been a huge improvement in Hollywood. Um, in, in sorry, in pop culture generally. Look, yeah. um, you know, but there's a lot of work left to be done. And yes, you know, you see Mindy Kaling would never have ever, and there've been other, you know, Kumail Nanjiani's doing a Marvel show, and you know, you see other, you know, big projects getting getting the spotlight, both both in front of the camera, behind the camera, in the lit world. But it, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, and, and my hope is that in the coming years. You know, we see more voices elevated, more you know, more brown people telling their stories. Um, you know, because there's a lot of rich stories to be told that aren't even out there, um, and and particularly South Asian women. You know, um, and there 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 are a lot of stories left to be told, and I hope that you, I hope that we get to tell every single last one of them. And it's just a question of you know who's going to be able to tell them. When is it? Are you going to be compensated correctly? You know, yeah. fairly com- compared to the white counterparts, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a lot, to, a lot of work to be done on that part. Uh, I'm thankful that we are going in the right direction, but we we shouldn't let up. There's a lot of work left to be done. Yeah, structurally, um, how do how do people in your position or um, those who actually can affect the levers of that? How how do they accelerate that? Is it through you know pipelines? Is it mentoring? Is it really just getting more content out there um, that does reflect the, the sort of even diversity within the Brown experience itself. Um, are, there, are there ways to, and mechanisms to make sure, make sure that that happens actually in a purposeful and thoughtful way? Well, it's, it's all of that. It, yeah. it, it's, it's advocating for, it's, it's using a platform to advocate for other, you know, others. It's, it's consuming Brown content. It's, it's, purchasing brown content it's 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 all everything you just said you know um 
it's being an ally. And by the way, and I should also note, it's not just to our group, it's also to other people of color, whether it's, yeah. you know, you know, whether it's black, black Americans or, you know, you, you know, the Hispanic community, you know, Cubans, Puerto Ricans, whatever, you Native know, American uh, community. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, oftentimes, you know, at least in the community I grew up with, I, I, I found, you know, sometimes we can, we can get a little siloed, Yeah. You know, but there, there, you know, advancement for, for one subgroup, um, isn't true advancement without the advancement of other subgroups too, Yeah. you know? Um, and, and so, uh, that, that, I think that's, that's an important thing to mention as well. When um, this sort of, you know, COVID era is done with and, and as people, you know, hopefully emerge cleanly from it or, or for that matter, not so cleanly from it, um, you know, having that, uh, you know, those relationships, you know, sprout and, and blossom. In, in your case, what do you hope is going to be the next sort of chapter for you? Will it in, involve something in, in particular that now you're really sort of eyeing to, to go forward with or, or really, again, link back to some of the experiences that you've had recently? Well, I mean, my immediate, you know, hope, hope, you know, is that we come out of the pandemic unscathed, you know, that we, um, you know, that we, we, as fortunate as we have been, that we get to continue being fortunate. But kind of on a, on a micro level, there, uh, you know, I finished up a debut novel over the summer, which I'm excited about. You know, aside from that, you know, my hope is just to be, I, I know this sounds cliche, but it's to be the best person, best version of myself that I can be, whether that's, you know, in, in both how I treat other people and, and how we, I, I treat the people close to me as well as how I treat myself, you know, and, and um, what that means in my career. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm pretty happy where I am right now. I'm very lucky. You know, I'm very lucky that I got to write a book and I'm hoping to do a second one and then we'll kind of go from there. So, Pan, it's been pretty amazing for us to um, witness this and spend some time with you. I hope you'll come back and join us again. Um, thank you so much for being here. I'd be happy to. Thank you so much for having me. Ruckus Avenue Radio.